If you want to open up your Bible with me or just listen and follow along with the screen behind me, we're in Mark chapter 6 this morning, verses 45 to 52. And it says, immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and head out across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, afterward he went up into the hills by himself to pray. During the night, the disciples were in their boat out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, he came to them, walking on the water. He started to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were astonished at what they saw. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the multiplied loaves, for their hearts were hard, and they did not believe. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, I just know as we all sit here, we all have things in our lives that are hard, winds that we are rowing against. Lord, would would you teach us this morning what it means to believe, even when it's hard? In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and talking about this idea of momentum. And the first week, Rob talked about how we needed to change our momentum and align ourselves with God's momentum. And then last week, we learned about the big storm in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And how we need to be centered in Christ so that when the big storms come, we're prepared. What we find today is a different kind of storm. It wasn't giant waves and terrifying weather. It was just hard and tedious. The last few summers I have run what's called Cascade Lakes Relay. It goes Diamond Lake to Bend in Oregon. It's 300 miles long, and it's designed that you have 12 runners. So that two vans, and each runner runs about 25 miles total after running three legs of the relay. It's known for being brutal. It's in the middle of August. It's at elevation, so it's hot and it's hilly. And they celebrated last year because it was the first year they hadn't had to life flight anyone out midway through the race. And I love this race. And I've done it a number of years on a team of 12, but last year I decided I wanted to run it as an ultra team. So instead of with 12, we ran it with six. And I wanted to run it with six, not because I really wanted to run 50 miles, but because I wanted to be a part of the race the whole time. You see, when you run it with 12, there's these periods of four or five hours where your other van is in the race and you're sitting in a field waiting for your turn to run. And I always hated that. I wanted to be a part of the action the whole time. So I decided I was going to get a group of my friends together, and we were going to run it as six. And in relays, you have these things that you talk about, the legs that you run, the handoff. Roadkill is when you pass somebody on your leg of the race, and you track it on the side of your van. And part of the fun is coming up with a really good team name. So I decided we were going to be Donner Party of Six. And our tagline was, eating away at it, one leg at a time. (laughs) And we went to the Halloween store and we got spare body parts to hang out the windows of the van as we ran. Uh, The side of our van said snacks instead of roadkill, and we were marking off as we went. But we had to get to the start line. 
And we had borrowed a van from a good friend, and she went and she had it serviced for it. And it was this huge, spacious, wonderful van, and we were so excited to have it. So we piled all of our stuff in, knowing that we had to run at 5 a.m. on Saturday, or Friday morning is when we started. We left Thursday night so we could get some sleep in a cabin at the lake. And so we piled everything in, and we got in the van, and we made it three miles to the gas station where somebody knocked on our window and said, do you know you are leaking radiator fluid, like, everywhere? And sure enough, when the van was serviced, they had put the fan belt on wrong, and it had cut all the way through the radiator hose, and there was no radiator fluid left anywhere. So I did what any adult does. I called my mother, who came and picked us all up, and we took everything out of that van and put it into her Subaru, and then we fit six of us into her Subaru, and then we drove to my house. We piled everything into my minivan after I pulled out all the soccer balls and yogurt cups, and then we got into this small car, and we started to drive. And we made it an hour and a half down the road, and we got to our turnoff, where we were supposed to head the rest of the way, which is about an hour and a half further to get to Diamond Lake, and the road was closed. There was construction, and if you didn't get there by 5 o'clock, you couldn't make the turn. It was 5.02. So we had to turn around and go another hour and a half back, and the only other way to get there was to go east, south, west, and then back up. So what should have taken us three hours actually became a seven-hour trip, not to mention the hour and a half we'd already driven. So as we turned around, we decided we've got to get something to eat. So we stopped at a McDonald's, and I went into the bathroom, and I sat down. And something about my height and girth was just right that I set off the little dispenser for the paper towels when I sat down, and paper towels start spewing everywhere in the bathroom. And all I could think was, we should have picked a different name. (laughs) Why didn't I go with Team Awesome or Team Nothing Ever Goes Wrong? But sometimes I feel that way about my Christianity. I feel like I was duped a little bit. Jesus loves you. Come to him. He just wants to take care of you. And then you start to go to church, and they start to tell you, you're promised trials and tribulations. He tells you he wants you to be more like him, and really the only way to get there is got to suffer a little bit. What happened to this? Jesus loves me. Everything's going to be okay. Suddenly life's hard. My husband and I were in youth ministry for 10 years, and I went to a Bible college, and we have watched so many people love God, follow him, and one day just decide to walk away, and I cannot tell you how many times I have heard, it just didn't work, because life got hard, and all of a sudden they felt like faith wasn't enough. Jesus told the disciples get in the boat. He sent them out, knowing the winds were coming, and they were paddling and paddling. From what we can tell about the time they got in to about the time that Jesus finally came out to rescue them, probably about nine hours passed, eight or nine, depending on who who you read. And they had gone exactly three and a half miles at that point. You cannot help but think. They had to go, this is just not working. And you put this story in the context of Mark chapter 6, and it becomes even more profound how frustrated they must have felt. 
At the beginning of Mark chapter 6, we find them going into Jesus' hometown and being totally rejected by the people who should have loved them and received them. And then John the Baptist is killed by Herod, and they didn't even have time to grieve because Jesus was sending them out to go and serve and do. And when he sent them out, he said, oh, and by the way, you can't take anything with you. And then they get back, and they were so busy that the chapter actually says that they didn't even have time to eat. And so they went across the river hoping to get some rest in the desert. And then everyone comes, and not only do they have needs, but they're hungry too. You ever had days like that? Needs on all sides. Grief that can't even be felt. Loss. Hunger, fatigue, rejection, they were drained. And now Jesus has put them in a boat. And they've done nothing up to this point except to be obedient. They did everything he told them to do. And it was still hard. We know how this story ends. We know what happens. And so we can look at these disciples and go, don't you know Jesus is going to come save you? But when we look at our own story and our own lives and we don't know how it all works out, we don't know how it's going to end, we react so much like the disciples did. They were tried, terrified, and mystified in the middle of the sea. It says that they strained at the oars. It's not just a physical word. It's not just talking about how hard it was physically. But it, says, it literally means that they were frustrated and in agony. It was as much emotional frustration as it was physical strain. When Jesus did come out, they're like, oh great, now a ghost. What else could go wrong? And who can blame them? In that moment, it's barely light. And they're frustrated, and up to this point, nothing has really gone well. So, of course, oh, great, now a ghost. And they were scared. How many times have you said, oh, great, now the minivan? Oh, great, now this. Oh, great, now that. They didn't even see that it was Jesus. They were too scared because it was one more thing to handle. And it says they were astonished. They were mystified. They couldn't believe that it was him, that he'd walked across the water, that he'd gotten into the boat. How many times when you're straining against life do you stand there terrified, tried, and mystified? I do it all the time. Because we can't see how the story ends. You may have heard me talk about my friend Shauna, one of my mentors, one of my best friends in life. She got colon cancer, stage four. And we prayed, and she did everything right, and she's one of those people who deserved life. And she died. And then to this day, I stand there, and I look at it, and I think, that's not how the story was supposed to end. To this day, I am mystified. I cannot recognize Christ in that at all. To this day, I'm fearful for her kids who were left behind. Is God going to take care of them? And I'm tried in my faith because it was hard and she did everything that God told her to do. And the story didn't end the way that I expected. 
we cannot judge the disciples because we are just like them. But we can learn from them. You see, they were tried and terrified and mystified because they didn't remember or recognize or realize. They didn't remember. But it was not that long before that there was an even bigger storm. And Jesus at peace and at rest in the back of the boat. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. They didn't remember that when they left out on that boat, Jesus was up on the mountain praying for them. They didn't remember that he had sent them. And that when he had sent them, he came with a promise. And they didn't recognize. They didn't recognize him when he came out because their circumstances were so blinding. It was dark, it was dim, and they were tired. And so they thought he was a ghost. Sometimes we don't recognize Jesus when he comes because he doesn't come the way we expect. He doesn't look the way we think he should look. We're so blinded by our own circumstances. We're so blinded by our own fatigue and t- that we can't even see him when he comes in the midst. And they didn't realize. It says they were astonished because they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes. If you read the story that happens just previously, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's amazing. He says to them, I'm going to take you to a desert place. So they're in the middle of the desert, and there's people that are hungry, and he puts them down into groups, and he feeds them with bread. And there was enough for the day, and then there were 12 baskets left over. In those days, those words, that miracle should have spoke to these Jewish believers more than anything else because it sounds a heck of a lot like Moses in the desert with the people of Israel and God providing the manna to them. They didn't realize that that was the God that was now on the mountain interceding for them. That that was the God who was going to come out on the water. That that was the God who could walk and split the sea. They were tried, terrified, and mystified because they didn't remember and recognize and realize. All they could see was God had sent them in a boat, or Jesus had put them in a boat, and it was hard, and he was nowhere to be found. A couple years ago, I used to work in the early mornings, and Jason would get the kids up and ready for school. And I would have this little chunk of time in between classes, and I finished my 5 a.m. cycle class, and I had an SOS from Jason on my phone. So I called him. I said, what's going on? And he said, Tegan slept with silly putty in her hair. And I don't know what to do. And I said, go ahead and Google it. See what maybe you should do. And I'll be home in a few minutes. And then I went down to the lobby of my gym, and I got a cup of coffee and the paper, and I sat down, and I did the crossword puzzle. And I called home about an hour later, and Jason had figured it out, and Tegan smelled like olive oil, but the silly putty was out of her hair, and she was off to school. Sometimes I think we think God has just abandoned us, but I think sometimes he just wants to build faith in us. Jason worked it out. We laugh about it now. (laughs) I laugh about it now. (laughs) 
So we can learn from the disciples that we're not abandoned by Jesus. He's up on the mountain. He's interceding. So we talk about momentum. We talk about moving into Jesus' momentum. We talk about holding strong and centered when things get hard and the storms come. And, but how do we keep going when we're going against the wind? And we don't know how the story ends. To remain and continue in faith. To move out of this place of being afraid. To, be, to soften our hearts and understand what God is doing. We have to remember what he's already done. We walk by faith, not by sight. We remain in God's momentum by faith and through faith. And our faith comes from his faithfulness to us we remember. When our circumstances are dim and hard, we walk in faith and the light of his faithfulness. We keep momentum by remembering. And there are things that we can see in this story that we can take with us about him and remember. We can realize that his timing is perfect. Things are hard and we grow weary and afraid when it doesn't happen when we think it should. He let them row for eight hours, three and a half miles. He could see from where he stood that they struggled. But his timing is perfect. Because in that moment, there was an opportunity. In that moment, he could build faith. In that moment, it was right. And if we remember his timing in things in our own life, that moment he interceded at just the right moment, that moment he provided at just the right moment, that his timing has always been perfect in our lives as well. We can keep our momentum, even when God seems to delay. If we can remember that his character is constant, the same God in the wilderness with Moses was the same God in the wilderness feeding the 5,000, and it was the same God that would climb into the boat and be with them. The same God that never leaves nor forsakes them will never leave nor forsake you. And so we remember his character that we have learned through past trials, that we've learned through reading the scriptures. We remember the character we've seen in him before and know that that same character is in him now. And so we can keep our momentum, even when we don't see him or recognize him in our current state. And we can remember that his provision is perfect. Feeding of the 5,000. It wasn't extravagant, wasn't lobster and steak. But it was more than enough. He didn't even just give them a snack to get by like I do with my kids when they're hungry. He actually fed them to where they were totally full with some left over. That's how perfect his provision is. It may not be extravagant, but it's going to be enough. That's how we move out of fear and into faith, by remembering. I've been coaching at TAGS Gymnastics totally having no clue what I was doing, but enjoying myself for the most part. And we had this little gymnastics meet the other day with all the kids in the progressive program, and I was coaching the little beginners. 
And the kids came in their like fanciest leotard and sparkles in their hair. And this little five-year-old's sitting with me and she's talking the entire hour and a half. And finally she looks at me and she goes, oh, Miss Olivia, I have to tell you something. Okay? I'm not wearing any underwear. <laughs> and before I could say anything else, she says, but don't worry. We Googled it and I'm not supposed to. And I took everything in me not to just fall over laughing, but I thought, how much trust do we put in what Google tells us? <laughs> if Google tells us not to wear underwear, we don't wear underwear. <laughs> and this little girl may for the rest of her life never wear underwear again because Google told her not to. And yet what little faith we have in a God whose timing is perfect, whose character is constant, and his provision is just what we need. And when we remember that faithfulness, we will never lose momentum. We will remain strong and constant with him. And it works because when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He says that he was going to pass by. The language there is identical to when God showed his glory to Moses and passed by. He was about to do something great, and they had no faith to receive it. And so what does he do instead? He cries out, I am. The words they needed to hear, the words they would recognize, they are God. I am. When they were faithless, he was faithful to meet them exactly where they were, to give them exactly what they needed, to let them into the boat. And it says in that moment they were immediately to the other side. In Matthew it 